Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at GT. Thanks for tuning in if you're watching online. If you got the headphones in and you're tinkering in the garage, welcome here. If you're in the building, God bless you. God bless you. Round of applause for getting to church. Friends, church is back. We're in the building. And I want to encourage you, implore you even, come to church. We'd love to have you here. Uh, It's been so good so far. Pastor Brent is here next week, like live and in person. It's going to be really exciting with preaching and worship. So you don't want to miss out on that. I just got to say from the top here, right from the start of the sermon, uh, let's just get this out of the way. Yeah, deal with it. I'm wearing a colorful floral shirt. Big and bold, friends, okay? Because I'm speaking on a topic that's really big and really bold. Um, It's interesting to me, the sassy remarks I've received today from the office, people in the office, excuse me. Uh, I had one person actually look at me today. They looked me up and down and just went, hmm and then walked away. Like, Andy wears floral shirts all the time. He's got all the colors. I was just talking to Jim Winchell last He's probably serving right now as we speak on our First Impressions team wearing a floral shirt. Tom Beggs, same thing. P.S. Join our First Impressions team. We'd love to have you. But like, if they can wear it, why can't the young preacher wear it, you know? I'm young. I'm going big. We're going bold today. I'm wearing a floral shirt, and I'm excited about it, so deal with it. Okay? Okay. Honestly, though, I'm honored and aware that my preaching assignment today is a lofty one. And it's true. Like, I actually wore this. I was talking to Trina before. I was like, Should I, I think I'm going to wear this. I'm going to go with it. Because we're talking about something that's big, that's lofty, that's weighty. We're talking about something that's big and bold. I'm preaching on the resurrection of Jesus. Which truly is, like, the biggest thing for us as Christians, in case you didn't know. You know, today's a big deal because I'm, I'm closing the series which is, which is a big deal. I'm, I'm talking about Jesus' resurrection. And then on top of that, for me, I think I'm realizing that this is kind of the close of just the online preach. Like, we're going to start to have live preachers and get back to church. And, and for me, March 14th, years, like what felt like years ago, it is, I guess, over 18 months, uh, I, I kind of opened our online only. And Pastor Andy and Lisa were away on vacation, and it was my turn to preach anyways. And so, I remember preaching that to a camera, just like this, and, and, and same again, I get to close it, and so all of this plays a significant moment for me, at least as a preacher, and I think, and I hope for you, we're closing this series, which was a deep dive into the look of, of Jesus, it was a, a deep dive into his, just almost the biographical look of Jesus, and all these different attributes. We studied deep the book of Mark, we've been in it for like 17 weeks or something like that. We talked about Jesus as a forgiver, the misunderstood, the healer. And today's title again, Jesus the Resurrected God. What a, what a weighty title. You know, it leads us to what I believe is the most important and central aspect of our faith. And so from the very start, let me say this. Nothing, church, okay? Nothing has more theological significance and spiritual freedom than the resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely nothing. Like, it's, it, it's the most important thing, and I need you to hear it from the top today. Nothing has more theological significance and spiritual freedom than the resurrection 
of Jesus. You see, a lot of people like what Jesus said, but don't care for what he did. Or, or maybe it's the other way around, where they like what he did, who, they, who he hung out with, what he stood for, but, but not everything he said. And yet, all of it to me, when I read this, kind of hangs on this one moment. If the resurrection is true, then everything he said and did has to be something we look at as true and follow and listen to and obey. And yet, if it didn't happen, then why would we follow or listen or like anything he did at all? This is such a big deal to not only us as Christians, but it was a big deal to Jesus. He talked about his imminent death. He talked about the resurrection. He, he, he made this a priority for him, and that we should be a priority for us. Because if there is no resurrection, there's no victory over sin. If Jesus was only a man and couldn't pay the price, the weight of sin and death still hovers over us. That's why it's such a big, bold thing today. That's why the guy's got the floral shirt. That's why this topic is such a big deal. Paul wrote extensively on the resurrection. So let me say it like this. And I was reading 1 Corinthians because I was looking for that verse that says, oh, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory, right? But if you read at the very top of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, uh, verse 14, excuse me. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Just like, hold on for a second. As a preacher who's all prepped up, ready to go for this, that's a big verse. That is a very big deal. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Pastor Lucas, your preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And then moving on to verse 17. And again, and if Christ has not been raised, he says again, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So once again, I say, Nothing has more theological significance and spiritual freedom than the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to tackle this in two ways. I want to first look at the resurrection itself. Um, I want to look at it a little bit apologetically. I want to make sure that for every person, whether you are a skeptic, whether you're new to, new to faith, new to this whole spiritual journey, you took Alpha maybe during COVID or you come in through small groups or you're just here for, today, you've walked in with someone because you want to get back going to church, or maybe you're a Christian for a very long time, I think looking at the resurrection in a way that's a little more historical and apologetical, it will just help us have assurance and confidence that what happened that day really did happen that day. That it's not some hoax, it's not some folklore, some big grandiose plan for the disciples to to reign in power. That the resurrection happened, it was amazing, it was beautiful, and it's significant then and now. So one, I want to look at it that way. And two, I want to talk about its spiritual significance for us today, right now as believers. So I want to encourage you, follow in the GT app. There's a lot of notes today. Shout out to our media crew who's been helping me out. Uh, If you're you're here in person, there's a blue Bible. It's right in front of you. Go ahead and grab it. We're We're going to be on page 829 to start. You know, bring your Bible. Go get your Bible if you're watching online. But let's tackle this together. One thing I want to do before we get into the first section of like, fully looking at just all the reasons why we know the resurrection is really did happen. I want to read to you more scripture than I probably normally would. Usually I'm like a five or six verse guy and just let's unpack it. But I want to read as we close this series, almost the whole chapter, probably not the whole thing, maybe the first 12 verses or so, but I want to read to you from Mark 16, starting in verse one, and I want to read through a bunch of it. It's going to come up on the screen to my side. Go ahead and grab the Bible again, page 829. This is Mark 16, starting in verse one says, Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they may go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, 
they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Touch it. Feel it. Like, take a look, he's saying. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He names them. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. A couple more verses. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to the two of them while they were walking in the country. These, these returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Let's stop there. So this, this moment really happens, right? And, 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 and Jesus is trying to tell everyone to basically go and tell everyone but everyone is doubtful. Everyone's afraid. Everyone's scared. So, so the sense that you may have actually about the resurrection was quite similar to the response that we see early from the disciples and Mary and, and honestly many others. So how, like them, can we be sure that the death and resurrection really happened? How can we know today, if they couldn't even be certain a day later, a couple days, whatever it was, if they couldn't be certain, Pastor, how am I supposed to be certain that this death and resurrection really took place? Well, I got seven, like, kind of brief points. We're going to hit them all, but I don't want to rush through them because they're, they're important and they're valid. The reason I even mentioned the death is because that's often the first criticism of the resurrection. Like, this death didn't really happen. So, from the top, as we read that scripture, let's look at all the different ways that we know that this really did happen, that this is truth, and this is good news for you and for me. Firstly, the Romans knew what they were doing, which is kind of a funny way of saying, like, the Romans really knew how to kill people. If anyone knew how to, like, invoke fear, right, it's the Romans. Historically, we know this. They ruled from England to India, and they did it just flexing their tyrannical power, their ability to just come in and destroy and wipe out and take over. For miles outside of city walls, they'd have people hanging on crosses. The Romans would crucify, not just kill, but crucify 6,000 people daily. They knew what they were doing. This actually happened. This was a regular practice for them. Secondly, a lot of people would say, like, well, Jesus maybe had went to the cross, but we don't actually know if he died. Friends, the severity of the crucifixion. Point number two, this is not something you just bounce up and get out after. You know, this is not, some, this is not my son, Bo, who will run into a tree and go, oh, I'm okay, and then just get up and run away again. Friends, this is brutal. He was flogged. Like Pastor Adam said last week, he was like thorns pushed into his skull, carrying a cross to the mountain, nailed hands and feet, dehydrated, suffocation takes place, the filling of his lungs with water and blood. Like this is what begins to take place. I remember I, when I was young, I watched like top 10 worst ways to die. You know, if you see those competitions, it was like or top 10 superheroes. It was always these really awkward, funny kind of top 10s and the cross always won. It was like, the worst way to die, 
the crucifixion, best known by Jesus. Like, this actually happened, and the severity of the, the, the crucifixion was so, so much pain, so tremendous. This was not something he bounces up and gets up after. Thirdly, the reason we know this really happened, that he really died and rose again, is the amount of witnesses, both at the death and the resurrection. I can't express this enough. This is just, like, if things as I've been reading Mark again, like, these are just some of the people, okay? There's many more. Uh, witnesses of the crucifixion of Jesus. You got chief priests, scribes, elders, people of high prominence who couldn't lie. This was just, it happened. Centurion and Roman soldiers. You got uh, two criminals, two people who were literally right beside Jesus at the moment. You got the mother, you got Mary, you got James, you got different disciples, you got crowds and crowds of bystanders as he went through the town carrying, carrying the cross. You have John, you have acquaintances of Jesus himself, you have Joseph of Arimathea, you have Nicodemus, the list goes on. And then there's the resurrection. You again, Mary, the women returning from the tomb, Peter, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, apostles without Thomas, apostles with Thomas. How about 500 believers at one time? You had the seven people at the Sea of Galilee, James, the 11, Paul, Stephen, like again and again, Paul at the temple, John Pamos, this, the list goes on. The first-hand eyewitness accounts of Jesus, both at death and resurrection, friends, it's tremendous again. Next, and this is really important, the lengths that the Pharisees went to to ensure his death. Like, if this was all one big hoax, if this whole resurrection thing, they were like not worried about it, listen, he's just a guy, we've got to put him in the ground, and he's done for. Why then, in Mark 15, do the Pharisees go back to Pilate and say, listen, we kind of remember that Jesus said he would do this. Like, he actually kind of predicted his death. Funny enough, Pilate. <laughs> Our bad. Point to Jesus. Fair enough. Advantage, Jesus. Like, this is kind of what happens. And then they begin to say, like, listen, he died, yes, but we're kind of worried about the resurrection. He kind of mentioned this. So can we actually get one of your guards? And can we seal the tomb itself? And can we, like, put your, put your seal on it so people know if they touch it, they're going to have to deal with you? As you read that story again, as they went to the tomb, right? The tomb is often debated. So let me just quickly say that when we say roll away the stone, we picture kind of what our children's Bible has, that kind of circular rock, that wheel-shaped kind of rock that kind of goes in and out, in and out. That's really not at all what the historical terms are saying. The historical terms are saying, actually, the stone was pushed in or taken away is a better term. We have phrased it as rolled away, but that's not what the stone would look like. In fact, back then, it was a lot more like a, like a cork or, or, or something in a wine bottle. And so it was a big, big rock with a little kind of nubbin on the end. And what would happen is you would push it in, and the things that were underneath would have like, you'd have like sticks and things to help roll it in, and then those sticks would fall, and it would suction together. This was not a stone easily rolled in and out. Or sorry, easily rolled out. It's pushed in, yes, but not rolled out. But the Pharisees went even further to ensure his death, that they go back, they put hot wax all around it. They seal it with rope. This is specific rope that they would have known was like from Pilate. They would have put his seal on it and then a guard is put there. Now let me ask you, why are they putting this much emphasis on keeping him dead if they didn't think that maybe something like the resurrection could happen? See, all things are pointing to Jesus rising again. We keep going. There's more. Eyewitness accounts of women. This is a big deal. You see, it would have made sense if the disciples wanted to say, oh, you know what we'll do? Well, we'll Jesus, you know, we'll pretend, we'll fake his death, and we'll make him this deity sort of thing, and then we can rise to power. I don't know what we'll do. We'll get women to be the first to go, because everyone will believe them. But back then, back then, 
the woman's voice really was not at all heard, especially their testimony would never have been held up in court. So the fact that Jesus spoke first to women is a massive deal. Because if they wanted that, that, that rush or that, if they were trying to get to power, they wouldn't have used women. Jesus would have used someone else or the disciples would have used someone else. But Jesus is constantly showing us how his kingdom is this upside down way of doing life. What we think would be best is not what Jesus believes is best. So he speaks to women and he uses them and he empowers them and he sees them first. Next, the disciples. Just so many things about the disciples. They did not seem ready for it. If they were planning this whole thing for power, they didn't seem ready for it. They wrote about their own unbelief. Probably not a good way, again, to get power out of this whole thing. The resurrection didn't lead to powerful appointments for the disciples, right? They all end up dying out of their belief of the resurrection. Horrible deaths, except John, who was boiled alive, but it didn't work. Like, this is what happens to the disciples. It doesn't sound like a real nifty plan. Let's fake the resurrection so we can have power in the church. It doesn't seem like it worked out that way. And all of this kind of leads us to now, which is the church. The rapid, massive expansion of the church. I, I was thinking about this recently, like, as I wrap up all these points about the historical or apologetical, if you will, ways that we know the resurrection really did take place. I look at this and I think, it's not just the believer's job to convince everyone of the world that the resurrection happened. How do you explain this? How do you explain 2.5 billion Christians across the world? How do you just explain that away? Like, ah, yeah, just because this guy one time did something? No, it's because there's actual power, miraculous and transformative power that happens in the resurrection, that's spoken to lives, that's spoken to disciples, that the power in Jesus' resurrection is the power that birthed the church. It's the power that radically moved the disciples to do radical things all across the globe. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in us that each believer can have. The same power that raised Christ from the, from the grave lives in me, the Bible says. This is what we're talking about. And I think for the disciples, they begin to realize what's really happened. That moment with Thomas where he kind of goes to poke the hands of Jesus, that he really begins to see something different that rings so deep and so true. And I hope you're beginning to see that right now. In John 11, Lazarus is dead, and Mary and Martha are having a conversation. These are some best friends of Jesus. And this is Jesus' words in that moment. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Right there in that moment, Mary and Martha are struck that they're reminded that both right now and forever, Jesus has changed everything everything. And the disciples, I think, are seeing that now. They're reminded, like, oh yeah, yeah, he said that to Mary, to Martha. That's right. He, he really is the resurrection. He didn't just, you know, do a resurrection. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Jesus paved a way. Please hear this, church. Jesus paved a way to a forever eternal life, to a forever eternal life, and a forgiven present life. That's what's happening right here. Jesus is doing something so different. The resurrection kind of births this into, into play that he, he paved a way for us to have eternity with him, but also forgiveness right now for life and life to the full. Let me break this down so it's just so easy to see the connection. On the cross, Jesus, who was sinless, he, he was perfect, took on the weight and wrath of our sin. All the sin of the world, like all poured out on him. Yet, come on somebody, 
I know you're sensing it, that Easter vibe, yet he rose again, defeating death. It could not hold him. And when we accept Jesus, when we say, God, I believe that's true. I believe you're true. Be be Lord and Savior of my life. When we accept him and make him our Savior, he covers our sin. His payment covers the bill. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. Our sin and his sin is left in the grave, but his love and action, man, that's what lifts us up. That's what lifts us out. Remember what Paul said, if he hasn't been resurrected, then we are still in our sin, but praise be to God, we were risen with him. Ephesians 2 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, right? Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's where we were. That's where we had been. But praise be to God, something happened. Jesus rose again, and therefore God made you alive with Christ, Colossians 2 goes on to say. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made it a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, our sin on the cross, verses 12 through 15. His resurrection leads to our reconciliation to God. And there's nothing greater, nothing more significant I could preach to you right now in this moment. Nothing more bold, nothing bigger than this, that he rose again, that sin could not hold him. So let me rephrase John 11 in a way that's, that's, that's perfect for this moment, for right now. For, for Mary and Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and life. But let me say it to you over, over you this way. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in Jesus will live, even though they will die. But whoever lives by believing in him will never die. Would you, church, like to believe this? This is the significant moment because the resurrection is not the end. It's the starting point. You know, after all you've heard in this series, after every kind of attribute we've given Jesus, as we've gone kind of week by week, chapter by chapter, after all that we've read, I hope you're beginning to see that the resurrection as we close this series The resurrection is the connection to everything else we've mentioned about Jesus. It's the starting point to your day. And let me read these out to you. This is what we covered. Jesus the the forgiver. Jesus the healer. Your protector. Jesus the merciful. The rejected, the equipper, the provider, the meek, the accessible. Jesus the outlaw, the observer, the returning king, the defender, the misunderstood. Jesus the resurrected God. And yet, as I come to the close of a series, as we kind of put a wrap on it, as we, as we close the book of Mark for now, still as, as a preacher, as a pastor, I have this concern, I have this weight that drops in my heart that I can give you all these points about women seeing God first and why that's significant or, or the fact that the Pharisees tried to cover it up or whatever it was. I can share all these details. But my heart, my my. my my, my passion would be that we wouldn't read attributes of Jesus and just pick one and take one. Because Jesus can't be your forgiver if he's not the resurrected God. Jesus can't be your healer if he can't be healed and he's still sitting in a tomb. Jesus cannot be the returning king if he is still lying in, in, in death in a grave. The resurrection is what breathes life into all of these things. 
He can't forgive sin if sin was too heavy for him. But he is not just fully man. He is also fully God. He was the perfect sinless one, the one that came to serve, not to be, not to, like he's the one that came to help, to give, to be our rescuer. That's why he's your forgiver. That's why he's your protector. Because he's your resurrected God. There's power in the resurrection. And it plays a significant role in our, in our day, in our walk, in our year, in our marriages, in our work, in our being a dad or a mom or a, or a career-focused like, person. Whatever it is, all of this makes sense if it's looked through the lens of the resurrection. If he's not resurrected, he can't be the rest of it. But if what I'm saying is true, if what this Bible is saying is true, if you're believing it and sensing it, then all of this is true. Jesus is the forgiver. He's the healer, protector. He's merciful. He may be rejected, but don't, like, don't forget, friends, he's also resurrected. He's the equipper. He is the provider. He's meek and accessible. Why? Because he's certainly alive. Amen? Jesus is maybe an outlaw and the observer, and he's the returning king because death has no sting. He's your defender, and he may be misunderstood, but you certainly won't be because he's your resurrected God. He was not defeated. He won't be defeated, and neither will you if you just accept him and receive him. And so if you're new to this whole faith thing, or you're not a believer at all, I ask you once again, would you like to believe this? As we've walked through and looked at the person of Jesus, I'm telling you, he is the missing link in your life. He is accessible to you. And he wants a relationship with you. I'm going to pray. After that, a number is going to pop up on the screen. Maybe it'll pop up right now. You can text this number. You can begin a conversation. If you're here in the building, go to the next step table. Come find a pastor. Pray with someone today. Call us this week. Have a conversation. But no. And choose, actually, let me implore you, choose today to receive Jesus, to accept Jesus, to understand that what he did is he paid the price for you. So come in relationship with him. Be with him. Let it wash over you that he is a resurrected God, that he's not just this guy in a book we read, but everything we read from chapter 1 through 16 is true and right and made for you to believe and live out. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you, God. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the significance of this moment. God, we thank you so much for the resurrection that showed us that death has no sting, that, that, that you actually purchased that victory, that you bought that victory for us. Out of your great love and mercy, we can have relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would not just pick and choose the type of Jesus we need, but we would choose all of you, God. Holy Spirit, I pray you would move right now in this church and every person watching wherever they may be that they would know in their heart that you're seeking after them that you are calling them out that you want a relationship with them so i pray for that person right now who is choosing you for the first time god that they would know it's the greatest decision they could ever make god i pray they would reach out that they'd say jesus i need you jesus be my savior jesus cover my sin jesus i want a relationship with you jesus i'm sorry but i thank you and i receive you let that prayer be prayed today. And for Christians, God, I just pray all across this room that we would have a better understanding of how important this is and would we live out in a way that makes sure that we talk about this, God, to everyone we know. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. 
thank you so much for the significant moment on the cross and your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, church.